and um, I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you all here this morning, you rowdy bunch, especially when it's not raining. Congratulations on making it here. And uh, anyway, we're going to have a fun morning this morning because we're in this series on Hebrews. And uh, if you're here last week, you'll know that Bod has kicked us off so brilliantly. And uh, I'd love to encourage you to listen to it on our website or our podcast. But before we jump into it, I just want to give you a little bit of context to Hebrews. It's a bit of a tricky book, so we all know sort of where we're at with it. So first things first, it's a little book. It's found in the New Testament right towards the end of the Bible. It's not really clear who wrote it. All we know is that it was written within a generation of Jesus. And that the person who wrote it, they, they knew people who had met Jesus. And the general consensus is that it was written to the early Jewish Christians. And these guys, what happened is they've been following Jesus for a bit of time now, but they started to face persecution for their faith. And so as a team, we've attempted to sort of sum up the book of Hebrews. And we reckon it's something like this. What is Hebrews saying? Saying, Jesus, I think it's going to come. What is Hebrews saying? That slide? Yes, there it is. What is Jesus saying? It's saying Jesus is more valuable than anything else. Why is it saying that? To encourage believers to persevere and to hold on to their faith, not to go back. And how is it saying it? By using comparison, by emphasizing and explaining how Jesus is just so much better than the things that they might be tempted to turn back to. And so John Bodley Bodders spoke last week on how Jesus is the best revelation. He shows us clearly who God is. Jesus is this better revelation than, than the revelation that was given through angels and prophets because Jesus is God in person, perfectly reflecting who Jesus is to the world. And so the title of the talk today, I think it's behind me, it's this, Jesus is the best rest. Jesus is the best rest, and we're going to be zooming in on Hebrews 3 and 4, where the author compares Jesus to, to Moses, to Joshua, to the promised land. And if you're wondering who all those people are or what I'm even on about, don't worry, hang on in there, because I'm going to do my very best to explain it as we go. And uh, it was kind of ironic for me when I read Hebrews 3 and 4 and realized I was going to be preaching on this subject of rest this morning, because at my house home feels anything but restful. It's the total opposite of rest. It's an absolute nightmare because I'm living in restlessness. I'm living on this building site and it's not my choice. It's this housing developer's choice and uh, they're building 310 houses and warehouses and I just thought this morning you should enter into my pain. So here's a little clip for you. Okay, it's okay. It's bad, isn't it? That noise, it even started this morning on a Sunday morning at 7.30. It's just not appropriate. Some days it goes on for 12 hours, but it's not necessarily that constant of the machinery. That's, I don't know, white noise or something. It's this noise. Beep, 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 beep. And it's kind of got to the point where I can hear it even when I'm not at home. And I don't know, where, I don't know what's real and what's not anymore. So it's a restless place to be. And I'm longing for rest. I'm longing for uh, a deep peace, calm, contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment. And it looks like I'm going to have to go to Australia to find it. <laughs> but that's just the situation at my house. But I wonder this morning if actually that's a really helpful picture for us and in our society. Because 
in many ways, we can find ourselves searching here, there, and everywhere for deep rest, contentment, satisfaction, fulfillment. We can find ourselves restless, longing for rest. And when we're talking about rest today, I'm not just talking about having a day off or having a nap this afternoon, which I definitely will be having. It's part of that. But we're talking about a rest that's way broader. The Bible talks about God's rest, something much bigger and deeper and way more fulfilling than a cheeky nap. And uh, hopefully it's going to become clear as we kind of get into the text this morning. So as we consider this idea of rest, I want to ask three questions this morning. Where isn't rest found? Where is rest found? And how do we receive the rest? And these are the questions that I found myself asking as I've been reading through Hebrews chapters 3 and 4. But if you were to read those chapters on kind of a first glance, it, it probably wouldn't be that obvious why I'm asking those questions or even how I got to that point. So in order to get to that point... We've just got to look at the story of the Old Testament. So for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to give you like a, I guess, a whistle-stop tour, the, the headline moments of the story. So hopefully everyone's ready for that. So this is the story of the Israelites. It's a story of a people who were restless, longing for rest. And their story, for those of you familiar, starts at the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, where God, he partners with this couple called Abraham and Sarah. And he promises to these guys that he'll create a huge nation through them who will be this blessing to the world. The nation is called Israel. And God promises that he'll bring that nation into their own land where they'll live securely and be at rest. And so time goes on and the Israelites, they end up as slaves in Egypt. They're restless again. And then, of course, this character Moses comes along. You know, I love Moses. Uh, If you don't know anything about him, read about him in the Bible. Or another alternative would be to watch that film, The Prince of Egypt. You know the one I'm talking about? There can be mirrors. It's such such a good film. And, um, and what happens is that God uses Moses powerfully. You know, you might remember moments of him parting the Red Sea. And he leads the people out of slavery, through the desert, to the point of the land that God had promised them. But then, at this point, there's hope of rest. But then they almost get into that land. But it goes horribly wrong. Because the long story short is those guys, they, they're just disobedient. They stopped doing what God had told them to do. And their disobedience and their lack of trust meant that a whole generation is prevented from entering into the promised land. And so instead of sort of entering into that land, into the promised land, they spend 40 years wandering around the desert. 40 years. And not only are they wandering, they're camping can you imagine it? Just horrendous. It's like five nights at NS, and actually Supernatural is horrendous. No, it's not that bad. But you know, 40 years would be horrendous. The Israelites are restless until eventually, under the leadership of Joshua, God brings them into the land. They get into the promised land. And for a while, they do actually receive rest. Joshua 21 says this, the Lord gave them rest on every side. Just as he had sworn to their ancestors, not one of their enemies withstood them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hands. You know, it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? They're 
they're loving life. Life is great in the promised land. But then, a few more centuries later, there's a plot twist. And Psalm 95 appears. And in Psalm 95, the the psalmist, he's speaking to those guys of Israel, the people of Israel, the people who are living in the land. And he says to these guys, they need to listen to God. Don't harden their hearts like that generation who were disobedient under Moses and never entered the land. And this psalm, what it is, is it's suggesting that even though those Israelites, they got into the land, even though on some level they'd experienced rest, that there was still a deeper rest to be had. That the rest they'd had experienced, if you like, it was, it was like a foretaste. It was always pointing forward to a better, a deeper, a more fulfilled rest to be had. And so this Psalm 95, it's really, really important to that writer in Hebrews. It's actually quoted five times across those two chapters. And the Psalm talks about listening to God today to receive rest. And he does it by using that story I've just told you of Moses, Joshua, Uh, the promised land, and the words from Psalm 95. So hopefully, as we now read Hebrews 4, 8 to 11, it's going to make sense. That's That's the hope anyway. Okay, here we go. Hebrews 4. For if Joshua had given them rest, remember Joshua, he's the one who did take them into the land, God would not have spoken later about another day. That's the rest he's going on about in Psalm 95. There remains then, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did in his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. He's talking about that generation that refused to enter the promised land. And so those sort of three verses, they're absolutely key to what we're focusing on today. And in the context of that Old Testament story, we can answer our first question. Where isn't the rest found for the Israelites? The deep soul heart rest, it was never found in the land. They were looking to the land to to provide them with rest, but it wasn't there. It wasn't found in the promised land. And despite the Israelites' pursuit of rest, they found themselves, like me, in my house with the building work, restless, longing for rest. And so I wonder if we sort of zoom forward a few thousand years this morning, do we sometimes find ourselves restless, longing for rest, running to all sorts of places to find it, never satisfied, and in this relentless pursuit of maybe purchasing or seeking or achieving something so that we'd feel more fulfilled or content? You know, do you know what I mean? It's, um, you know, why isn't it? that when it finally is actually a sunny day and you can sit in your garden on a deck chair and you're sat there for five minutes and it's bliss, until suddenly you start to look around and you think, that fence around it needs painting. Or you look over the fence and you think, the neighbour's done a way better job of weeding than me, I need to get on with the weeding. Or you think, maybe we need to get some decking to sort of perfect this garden. Or why is it that we can't, some of us, spend a weekend without checking our emails You know, restlessness can play out in all sorts of ways. The desire for bigger and better houses, home improvements, an upgrade on the car, a a job with perhaps more status or influence, a new pair of shoes, an exotic holiday, a new and exciting relationship, wanting 
a new pair of sunglasses. I think that's just me, the sunglasses. But um, to help illustrate this point, here's my sunglasses, okay? You recognize them because I wear them all the time. And a few years back, they were a birthday present. And uh, they were the best kind of birthday present. They were chosen by me. They were for me, but paid for by someone else. Absolutely brilliant. And um, when I first got these sunglasses, I just, I loved them. I love everything about them, the color, the, the look of them on my face and all of that. They totally fulfilled all my sunglasses needs. And... Um, but I've got to be honest with you, over the last sort of couple of months, I've started to look at them and think, man, they're a little bit, a few scratches here and there, a little bit bored with these sunglasses. And so one day, one night, I was in the internet, and my eyes just, they started to wander to the Oakley's website. And, um, and what I found there was that not only can you buy a new pair, you can also get custom-designed sunglasses with your name inscribed into them. And so I sort of sat there and I thought, you don't need those sunglasses. You're deeply fulfilled at all levels in Jesus. And um, I'm at rest, it's fine. But what I actually did, I was just like, click, add, to, add them to the basket. And then three days later, they arrived. And um, I can't show you them this morning because they're just beautiful. But it's, they're actually a birthday present. And I've promised my mum that I wouldn't wear them until next week. So I'm practicing self-control. But anyway... <laughs> what I'm not saying, don't hear me wrong on this, guys, is that house improvements or new sunglasses, they're not great things. I love both of those things. But if we're not careful, they can be the places that we run to for rest, for fulfillment, for satisfaction. They might provide temporary rest and fulfillment. The sunglasses definitely will. But over time, they leave us wanting. You know, they leave us shortchanged because the kind of rest that we long for it's not found in external things. So if it's not found in those things, we've answered question one. Where then is it found? Well, those, chapters, uh, those verses in chapter four, to, four to, chapter 4, verse 8 to 11, they point us, of course they point us, towards God. That true rest is found in God. And it's as if that, that author of Hebrews is saying to, to the original audience, forget about the land it didn't bring you the rest that your ancestors thought it would. And instead, it points towards creation. Remember that verse 10. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And actually, when you think about it, where do we hear about God resting? We hear about him resting right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis when God created the world on the seventh day. And so rest is ultimately, it's something that belongs to, it comes from, and is found only in God himself. And rest was part of this created order that we were meant to live in, a perfect relationship with our Father, with one another, with all of creation. True rest, deep fulfillment, inside and out. It's a beautiful picture that you find right there at the beginning of the Bible. That's the rest that we're after. That's the rest that we're longing for. But of course, again, it goes wrong. You know, humans ended up disobeying God and wanted to, we wanted to make our own decisions. And it led to a mess. You can read about it in Genesis 3 to 11. Violence, injustice, heartbreak. But we know that if we fast forward years later, that through Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, that God restores that broken relationship. 
because Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God with us. And so the author of Hebrews, throughout Hebrews really, but at the beginning of chapter 3, he says this. He says, guys, fix your thoughts on Jesus. And what they're trying to get the point across is that the best rest is found only in Jesus. He really is the best rest. So that's the answer to question two. And the author, he's, he's making this point by comparing the rest that Jesus brings to the rest that both Moses and Joshua were unable to deliver. Saying to that Jewish audience, guys, don't, don't look back. Don't go back to your old way of thinking. The rest is not going to come through the land. You know, Joshua, he's only able to secure a temporary rest. But as we've seen in Psalm 95, the point is, is that even when they experienced rest, when they had that rest, it was always, always pointing forward beyond itself and time to a rest that was way more significant, a rest that could only be found in Jesus. And by the way, if you're loving this and you're up for going a bit deeper into Hebrews, you need to grab yourselves some commentaries because in this text, there's so many um, comparisons being made, little links between the Old Testament, the New Testament, Jesus and Joshua. And the author is doing it to really keep hammering the point home to say, Jesus is so much better. Guys, fully embrace the rest that Jesus has given you. Because Jesus is just way better. He's actually God in person. Only God can bring the true, the lasting, the deep rest. So it makes sense, doesn't it, when Jesus says things like this in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is like Jesus says to us, come, come to me and I will give you rest. And uh, I love this quote from St. Augustine. Augustine. Lots of you might have heard it before. He says this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. He got it. And uh, I love hanging out with people who got it, who get it as well. Do you know the kind of people I mean? They're the kind of people who, and they just seem to have this sort of deep and rich and intimate relationship with Jesus, that when you're around them, it's almost as if the peace just sort of oozes out of them. And, um, and they just don't seem to get so stressed by things. They seem to be less phased. We probably all know them. They're the people who've figured out that there's rest for their restlessness. There's rest for their restlessness. Rest is available this morning for your restlessness. No matter who you are, where you're at, what you've done, it's available. And uh, for me, one of my highlights of the year so far was seeing the young people at DTI find rest in Jesus. That's our, that's our youth camp, and we've got over 200 stories, but I'm just going to share 199 of them now. No, I'm going to share two of them. Here, here's one. I've struggled with self-harm for around two and a half years. I have scars on my arms. I was really ashamed and guilty of what I'd done. But during the song, What a Beautiful Name, I felt God say to me to take off my jumper. The second I did, I no longer felt any shame. He made me realize that the only thing that matters is that God loves me no matter what I've done. I'm finally shame-free. God is good. Or this one, I came to DTI, I felt lost and unworthy. But then I started worshiping and praying to Jesus and I felt like my stress and anxiety was lifted from me. And I felt free. 
Now I feel uh, like I'm loved and I'll always be, no matter what, I do or say because Jesus will always forgive me. The story after story like that. Those young people, they came to DTI finding rest, feeling restless and they found in the person of Jesus in that moment, rest. Because the rest is available to us today and we can experience it. But we've also, haven't we, got to recognize that there is some kind of future aspect to true rest, contentment and wholeness as well. Because later on in, in, in the book of Hebrews, if you get to some of the later chapters, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, it talks about a heavenly country, that God has prepared a city to come. And in Revelation, many of you will know these words. It says this, he will wipe, one day he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Such beautiful words. And you might be like this morning, yes, yeah, I, I get that. I get that one day everything will be okay. I can be fully, fully at rest. But how do I experience rest this morning when I've got all these stuff, you know, going on in my life? I'm waiting for some sort of results. I've just been made redundant. My teenager is struggling with anxiety. I, I don't know what to do with my life. And really, the, the Jewish Christians that the author was writing to, they were experiencing these same sort of questions. How do I experience rest when I'm facing what I'm facing? Because we can experience rest whilst living with restlessness around us. And uh, just to share a personal sto story with you, for the last couple of years, my um, mum's my been suffering with an illness called ME. Lots of you will know what that is. And it's been super, super hard for her. And um, she's often not been able to do the things that she loves. And it's meant she's had to take early retirement. And it's been up and down over the time. But at times, it's been so painful to, to watch somebody that you love suffering so much. And it could leave me in a place of restlessness. Do you guys get that? And don't get me wrong, there's moments when it has felt like that. But in the midst of the restlessness, I've found that Jesus really can provide true rest. That it's possible to be at rest even though there's restlessness going on around me. And what it does is, as I experience the rest, it helps me to hold on to say, one day it is going to be okay. One day God's kingdom will be here fully on earth. But I can experience rest in the restlessness. And that's exactly what Paul later on in the New Testament, he's going on about. He was at rest in the restlessness. Check this out from Philippians. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Paul was saying, in my restlessness, in my weakness, I can find rest. So the rest is found in Jesus, and it moves us on to our final question. How do we receive the rest? So we've got to jump back into this Hebrews chapter 4 here, because there's a couple of things that's going on here. Two words which jump out, and they are trust and obedience. In verse 3 it says, Now we who have believed enter that rest. So there's a faith and a, and a trust aspect of receiving or entering into the rest. There's also an aspect of obedience. Verse 8 says this, let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest so that no one will pe perish by following their example of disobedience. 
It's talking again, remember, about that generation under Moses who, who, because of their lack and their trust and their disobedience, they didn't end up entering that land. What does make every effort look like? I think it looks like that, like trust and obedience. And what you'll find is if you, you read the rest of Hebrews and, and the Bible, that these words trust and obedience, they, they go hand in hand. To enter God's rest, we need to trust him and then, tr- and then act on that through obedience. And uh, I don't know how you guys felt when I first read that verse 11. I did a little bit of a double take because I was like, why do we have to make every effort to enter the rest? Surely rest of all things should not be effort. So that makes sense. Like rest is just like, oh. it's not like making the effort. And some translations actually say, strive to enter the rest. Well, the author here is not just, they've just not, not just sort of put it in there as a mistake. They're being intentional. They're making such an important point to those first century Jewish Christians, saying make every effort, strive to enter into a place of rest because there is the potential that you won't make it. There's a potential you won't enter into the rest that's available. And the author's concern is that these guys, they're at risk of drifting. They're at risk of going back to something they used to be a part of and giving up what they'd actually found in the person of Jesus, that through their lack of trust and their disobedience, they could drift, they could lose Jesus. And so there's an intentionality and urgency about it. And zoom forward to 2019, in our context, there remains a need for us to be intentional. We too must make every effort to enter into God's rest today. Because if we're not intentional about it, there's the risk that we could end up drifting. Standing still is not really an option because we live in a world where the culture sort of pulls us in all these different directions. And if we want to be experiencing true, deep soul rest, we've got to be intentional about it. And um, I just want to finish up here telling, telling you a story. Well, not, not like a story, like a novel, like a true story about me. And uh, about six years ago, um, I found myself in a place where I started to drift where somewhere along the way I stopped holding on to Jesus so tightly. And I stopped fully trusting in him and being obedient to everything he was calling me to. And it didn't happen overnight. It was over the course of a few months. But over time, I moved from this place of being at rest to being restless. And on the outside, everything was fine. I was here on a Sunday. I was um, serving, uh, leading. I was in a small group. I had amazing friends and family around me. But inside, I found myself growing increasingly disillusioned, anxious, discontent uh, with my life and with my faith. And I was restless, honestly, like I'd never, ever been before. And it was such a a painful and a challenging time. And it all came to a head one day when I was stood in in a worship meeting, a little bit like this. And we were singing the song that Dave wrote, Jesus, I come to you, no pretending, no hiding. I come just as I am to you. And as I stood there, I was sort of staring at the words. And it was like one of these sort of wake-up call moments because I, I looked at the words and I thought, I'm, I, I'm pretending. I'm hiding. On the outside, I'm just trying to be this super kind of Christian pastor person. But on the inside, actually, I felt empty. And I couldn't remember the last time I'd sort of spent any real time with Jesus. I'd stopped trusting that he's enough. I was questioning whether uh, God was good and his, his will was the best for my life. 
And I knew that day that I had to do something about it. I drifted and I wanted to come back to Jesus. And it was a time I'll never forget. And actually looking back on it, I'm so grateful for it because it's defined sort of the last six years of my life. But also in, in my lowest moment, Jesus was so unbelievably kind to me. He was so kind to me and he restored me and healed me and he put the most amazing people around me who just loved me through it. But reality was I drifted and I needed to make some changes. I had to be intentional about putting things into place to make sure that I would never end up in that place again. I never, ever want to end up in that place again. And it started really with repentance. I was gutted about my lack of trust and ultimately my disobedience. And I found myself one day in my lounge on my knees saying, God, come and meet with me. I'm sorry. I've made such a mess. I started to pick up my Bible to find the truth God's truth about me, about my life, about who he is again. I started to pray. I started engaging in worship. And I started to choose to trust that Jesus is enough for me. Whether or not my life plans out in the way kind of I want it to. Whether or not some of my hopes and dreams come true that Jesus is enough. And I got people around me who loved me enough to challenge me. Who loved me enough to ask me the questions, how's your heart? And then, how's your heart really? How's your relationship with the Lord? When was the last time you went to him? And that's been ongoing now for a period of time. And I could talk, you know, loads more about that time. But ultimately, over the course of the last six years, I've known God's rest in such an increasing measure as I've tried my best to to walk closely with him and to trust him and to be obedient. The author of Hebrews is saying, there is a rest for our restless hearts. There's a rest for your restless heart this morning. It's found in Jesus. He really is the best rest. And we've got to be intentional about entering into that rest through trust and obedience. If you're able, why don't we stand?